Hi everybody, my name is Kieve Roadheaver and my pronouns are they, them, theirs. I'm a sleepy beaky. I do stick and poke tattoos. Please don't try this at home. Please, please, please do not do it. And I have a sourdough start, which you can make at home, named Papa June, short for Junam. My friend and guest of the show, Mackenzie Norcannon, wanted me to name him this because it means father dearest in Farsi. And sourdough is kind of like make more bread and stuff like that so it's like he's one big papa papa june so as you noticed i don't have a guest with me today i think it's because we're going to be talking a little bit more about the tools that you can use yourself as an artist to kind of get jumping off the floor and I wanted to make these a little bit more lecture style, a little bit less conversational, so that they can be a little bit more planned. But we're still going to be funny, probably. I don't know. I think I'm still funny. We'll see. Um, brief disclaimers. Two of them, really. Um, so even though I know a lot about color theory, I'm the only person I know with an MFA who managed to dodge color theory as a class completely. And as a result, I kind of like learned color theory via the School of Hard Knocks, which is not the best way to learn color theory, let me tell you. So in preparation for this, so I could kind of think about what format I wanted to present color theory to you all, I ended up reading a book called Color and How to Use It by William F. Powell. I read several articles, which I will link in my show notes, and I also watched a lot of YouTube. I'll also link you to some of my favorite YouTubers. Another disclaimer, I really, 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 really don't expect you to remember everything I tell you. That's why this is here, so you can reference it whenever you need to. Basically, I'm trying to give you enough information to give you somewhere to go, a starting point, something to Google or ask more questions about. I believe, or at least this is the way that I learn best, that kind of concepts that translate to application are what is most important for me personally when I'm learning something. Another thing to note, there's going to be pictures on my website all along the way. I might make some paintings for this specifically, simply because I don't want to steal just a random color wheel off the internet. Or I might attempt eventually to make a video to accompany this at a later date for my class. Here's one last disclaimer. There was a whole section about time of day and seasons um, that kind of change color temperatures and the colors that you'd use to paint a landscape and stuff. Kind of think impressionists like Monet or like Van Gogh. My brain was like, times of days are way too much like numbers. And my brain kind of went, yeet. <laughs> and I was like, oh, well, that information was really nice. Too bad I can't process it. Um, so basically, if you're really interested in learning that, I've got some more links down below. And also consider reading that book that I mentioned a little earlier, Color and How to Use It. So let's start by talking a little bit about the science. I know I just said that math was really bad and numbers are really bad, but like science isn't 
always numbers, right? There's like some science concepts there. So let's talk about science concepts. So sunlight. Sunlight is made up of wavelengths that break when passed through a prism into a spectrum of visible light. And they make a rainbow, right? Red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, and violet. Roy G. Biv. Basically, we perceive color. So basically, we perceive color based on how the colors in the visible spectrum are absorbed and reflected. Light colors like pastel reflect more, and darker colors like jewel tones absorb more. A leaf is green because it reflects green and absorbs everything else. My B tattoo is yellow because it reflects yellow. White reflects the full visible spectrum and black absorbs it all, which helps keep me warm and toasty in the winter because I am always, always, always cold. We're gonna come back to all of this like absorbing and reflection stuff. Colors bounce like a ball or numbers when you throw them onto my brain. Let's start with the quote-unquote three dimensions of color. Essentially, all three of these components are what make a particular color the color that it is. English is a weird language, and sometimes language is really bad. So, the three dimensions of color are hue, intensity, and value. Hue is basically the name that the color is. The color blue has the hue of blue. The hue of red is red. The hue of periwinkle is periwinkle. The hue of Kieve is Kieve. I'm joking. Anyway, so the second one is intensity. Intensity is the strength or purity of the color. The most intense being the undiluted pigment or color. The more stuff that's mixed with it, like white or gray or black or whatever, the less intense it is. My particular personal intensity is looking at you right in the eye, taking a deep breath, and then chickening out. <laughs> the most important of these dimensions, though, is value. Value is how dark or light the color is. If you get the value right, which is once again getting those dark tones right, the mid-tones right, and the light tones right, then your brain will properly interpret the form that you are trying to create, which is why you can make a blue face, and your brain will be like, Yup, still a face. <laughs> you can paint something any hue you want, and as long as the value is right, your brain's gonna be like, mm-hmm, yeah, that's totally a cat. Even if the cat's pink. Continuing on about that oh-so-special platinum gold diamond-priced value. Talking about highlights, mid-tones, and lowlights kind of sounds like I'm about to give you a makeup tutorial, which I promise is out of my wheelhouse. Highlights are the light or white parts of a picture. Lowlights are the shadows and midtones. And midtones are all of those colors that are not the brightest, but also not the darkest, like me in my brief emo phase. So if a painting has only highlights and looks washed out, like when you accidentally blinded yourself taking a selfie with the flash on, that's called a high key color scheme. If you're only using midtones and it looks kind of muddy and hard to look at, like a blurry photo of Bigfoot, it's called a mid-key color scheme. And a scheme that's dark like my soul and lacking any bright highlights is called a low-key color scheme. Low-key, you want to strive for none of those kinds of color schemes? 
you gotta get that just right Goldilocks color scheme that uses the full spectrum of values. Full spectrum. Spectrums are good, like gender spectrums. Actually, I personally prefer the gender galaxy or cloud model, but you know, baby steps. Color is a spectrum currently. Maybe one day we will evolve and ascend into the color galaxy. I like that. That's a good idea. Speaking of intensity and fierce, terrifying eye contact, the fear of being looked directly at is called scopedophobia. I think I've mentioned this before, but whatever. Let's define some color mixing terms. Any color mixed with white is a tint. Basically all pastels, like seafoam green or Pepto-Bismol pink, are all tints. And when we mix black, it's called a shade. Like shadows are in the shade, or like you throw a shadow, or you throw shade on people who don't believe in social distancing. Anyway, then there's my favorite, the soft boy with an eye, color gray. When you mix soft boy gray with a color, it's called a tone. I don't have any fun, catchy ways to remember this, just a lot of songs that get stuck in my head when I say the word tone. If my gender were a color, it would probably be soft boy gray with a pastel rainbow. Kind of like a misty morning rainbow vibe. But you know, that's not my whole personality, I guess. I think my whole personality as a color scheme is probably various tints and shades of cerulean or Prussian blue and soft boy gray with a tiny, tiny hint of lime and that one like careless swipe of bright cadmium red. I need to paint all of these honestly so that I can share them with you and you should totally send me versions of you in full like color whatever your like abstract color scheme is. I would love that. We could be like Rothko expressing our feelings in color fields. Well I'm not gonna tell you not to be as sad as Rothko. Maybe if you're as sad as Rothko though go to therapy. So the visible light spectrum and all of that. Sir Isaac Newton looked at that prism and was like, hmm, but what if circle? Because like, you know, blue and red make violet or purple or whatever. So he's credited with making the first color wheel. Basically, Roy G. Biv, Roy G. Biv, Roy G. Biv into infinity. But going back to hue and value, when we look at those hues and colors at their highest intensity or most pure form, our brain already perceives some hues as lighter or darker on the color scale. For example, yellow looks far, far brighter than purple does. So essentially, instead of into infinity repeating the circle of red to violet to red to violet, we are going to arrange the color wheel from lightest to darkest. This would put yellow on the top as the lightest, and then we're gonna go down clockwise. By the way, clockwise is really, really hard for my brain to do. So like, if you're like me and you can't tell your left from your right and you don't remember clockwise and things flip around in your head a lot, you should just go ahead, save yourself some time, go to my website and look at that color wheel or just Google a color wheel. It'll be about the same, kind of, probably. My color wheel's obviously better. Anyway, clockwise around the color wheel, yellow orange, red, purple at the bottom, back up, blue, green, to the top with yellow. This is important for color mixing. 
Basically, if you only use white to lighten colors, it looks really chalky. And if you use only black, it looks really, really muddy. Basically, when you're painting something, if you want, you can mix a bit of the color above it on the color wheel with white to make a highlight or mix a ba your base color with a color lower down on the color wheel to make a shadow. If you have a green ball, the parts of the ball that are closest to the light and brightest will be slightly yellower and the colors in the shadows will be slightly bluer or slightly more purple. This isn't always the case, but honestly, it's how I paint. <laughs> So fam, every single gen ed art course ever for all time will always make you make your own color wheel. I personally find making color wheels very, very tedious. You're welcome, by the way. But if you want to be my guest, make your own color wheel. Let's talk about the kinds of colors that exist on the color wheel. The main kinds of colors on a color wheel are primary, secondary, and tertiary colors. Basically, any color that cannot be created by mixing the other colors on the wheel is a primary color. These colors are yellow, red, and blue. You can't build red from purple or blue from green or whatever, and the same goes. If you are using a real-world color palette, my recommendations for creating these primary colors are cadmium yellow, pale hue, cadmium red, light hue, and ultramarine or cerulean blue. I personally prefer cerulean blue, but other people say that ultramarine or Prussian blue is better. You can experiment and figure out what works best for you. And after all, I never actually took color theory. I just kind of learned color theory. So primary colors, once again, red, yellow, blue, are the building blocks for all of the other colors. The next kinds of colors that are called secondaries are colors made from mixing two primary colors together. It's the whole blue and yellow make green, red and blue make purple, and red and yellow make orange. And then it follows that tertiary colors are what you build from the secondary colors. So think about colors like yellow green, teal, blood orange, which is fucking red. You get it. Probably, like I said, it's good to have the visual aid of a color wheel next to you while you're thinking about these colors. Let's talk about buying colors. So, unfortunately, I am not a guru of every single kind of, like, medium ever. For the sake of argument, let's say that we are only talking about paint. I'm poor. I can't really afford every color every mixed. I also can't make choices when I'm faced with infinity. It's kind of the whole like queer thing. I'm gay. That means that I never want to pick what's for dinner, you know? So let's talk about colors you actually need. Know that personal preference means you can spice things up however you want. For example, I have a different color palette choices between acrylic, watercolor, and gouache. So starting from the bare bones, to make a painting across the full spectrum of colors, you technically only need the three primary colors, red, blue, and yellow, black, and white. I do know fancy people who are like, if you have this particular kind of black, you don't need blue, but I'm not that fancy, so let's stick to basics. You technically can work with only the colors red, yellow, blue, white, and black, and mix every single other color on the planet. However, this can be extremely tedious. 
or it can waste paint if you can't quite replicate that color that you replicated before. What I typically recommend or what is typically recommended is essentially to have a minimum of two of every primary color, two whites and two blacks on both the cool and warm side of the color spectrum. So for blue, you have ultramarine, the more warm blue, and cerulean, the cooler. You have cadmium red, the warm, and alizarin crimson, the cool. Cadmium yellow and lemon yellow. Titanium white and zinc white. Carbon black and vine black. When painting skin tones, I also find it easier to have burnt sienna, which is a very lovely, lovely, lovely brown, or yellow ochre. My personal acrylic palette right now also includes hot pink and deep purple, but doesn't include lemon yellow, which I need to fix, or zinc white, or any blacks, because I prefer to make my own black. For watercolor and gouache, I typically add a Prussian blue, a Viridian green, burnt sienna, yellow ochre, and a reddish purple. So that's great and all. But how do you pick color schemes other than every single crayon ever in the box? The answer is it depends. Here are my recommendations. When in doubt, use a photographic or live color reference. Something to consider when you're practicing color theory and only like basics like and stuff like that, or if you just really like it, is you'll always have the most control over references you make yourself. And as much as I personally don't like painting either still lives or self-portraits, you will find that these are the things that you'll have the most control over if you're experimenting with your own color references, because you are always available to yourself. And even if you're separated from your stuff, you can just like, you know, raid a trash can and make a dumpster dive still life. Please do not, during a global pandemic, dive into other people's trash. Anyway, try doing color sketches. Like you sketch out ideas for composition, make tiny versions of your own sketches and try different color schemes out. See which color schemes fit the vibe. All else fails, you can go to websites like cooler.adobe.com, which I have linked, and you can pop in your reference photo. For me personally, I sometimes find this really frustrating, but sometimes it will generate a color scheme that can be really useful for you. Don't rely on it. Honestly, algorithms will never work as well as the human eye. And once again, I'll Algorithms are numbers? Numbers are bad, trust me. Let's talk about complementary colors. You look very nice today. Just kidding. But you probably do look really nice today, honestly. Remembering that the color wheel has yellow at the top and purple at the bottom, every two colors across each other from the color wheel are complements. That means red and green blue and orange, purple and yellow look oh so, so good together. And if you mix up those complements, you'll even get that oh so good, soft boy, neutral gray, not to be confused with the masculine neuter, which is not very good gender-wise. So all of those are considered to be true complements. Essentially, if you can mix them together and you get a nice good gray, they're true. But you can also make a split complement color scheme by choosing a color like purple, and instead of using its true complement yellow, you can use yellow green and yellow orange. Another example is to take green and use blood orange and red purple instead of red, even though we all know that red orange is fucking red. The next step is double complements because I need every complement. 
Double complements are essentially when you smoosh two complementary color schemes together, like you can't choose, which I never can choose as we've already covered. So essentially you could have purple and yellow and blue and orange. So I know you're banging your fists on the table and yelling more color schemes, more color schemes. Triad color schemes are when you skip every other color on the Roy G. Biv color wheel. So the colors could be blue, yellow, red, or another color scheme would be purple, orange, green. I also really like analogous colors, which essentially you pick the three colors that are next to each other. You could do blood orange, red, and reddish purple. Or maybe you could do purple, bluish purple, or blue, or yellow green, green, and blue green. And of course, there's this classic monochromatic color scheme, which only uses one hue, white and black. So like Prussian blue, white and black, or Viridian green, white and black. Let's talk a little bit about warm versus cool colors. Basically, you're gonna cut the color wheel in half from top to bottom, Warm colors are on the side with cadmium yellow, orange, red, red purple, and the cool colors are on the sides with lemon yellow, green, blue, and purple. According to William F. Powell, if you tint any color in the purple family with white, you will generate a color that can happen either on the warm or cool side of the colors. Why does this matter? Firstly, as the name suggests, warm colors evoke feelings of warm sunshine or autumn and cool colors are like cold which is always bad in my opinion winter and moonlight moonlight's good also warm colors are often associated with energy the exception being pink which will come back to you pink don't even worry about it think things like fire signs lots of like aries energy unlike my cancer vibe with the cool tones that evoke the water and calmness even though my real energy is just extrovert anxiety. But anyway, people who know me in person pretend for a second that I'm like calm and cool and surfing. If you paint me blue, honestly, maybe my anxiety would just melt away. By the way, friends, only use body paint when covering your body in colors, please. You could poison yourself or clog your shower drain or be otherwise uncomfortable and sad. Not that I'm speaking from personal experience, of course. I would never cover myself in highlighter green paint for a photo shoot. So remember a million years ago when I talked about colors reflecting and bouncing and stuff? All colors change in the context of the colors around them. A color next to its complement would look more vibrant, bold, and brash, like Squidward's painting. Like red next to green, but red next to yellow seems a little less bright. The same color on white will look different than on black or white or neutral gray. And when you're thinking about color schemes, try to make tiny color sketches to experiment with how the colors vibe with each other. Do they clash? Are they muddy? Do they feel harmonious? Keep in mind that you sometimes do want that clash or you do want that muted color scheme. It all depends on the mood or the focal point and stuff.
keeping color bouncing in mind, let's talk about portraiture a wee touch. Remember, every single person is going to have a slightly different color palette, but some things to think about are that the clothes that we wear will reflect onto our skin. So if I were to wear red, I would appear more pink. Think also not only of the colors shining on the surface of your skin, but also the blood of my enemies. I'm actually kidding, but really, think about the places where the skin will be red as a result of our blood and capillaries shining through, like in our earlobes or on our cheeks, or where there'll be tints of blue or green from our veins or the purples under my eyes when I'm sleepy, like I always am. Practice a lot of skin tones, please, 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 please. Don't just paint white people over and over and over again. White people are boring. We're not, but we are. Come on. Ask yourself questions like, what color is Lucy Liu's skin? What color is Beyonce's skin? What color is Samin Nostrat's skin? I don't know. Pick people. Let's talk more about our feelings, but mostly still about color theory. So. Colors often evoke feelings or connections beyond stuff like, oh, that grass there sure is green, my hair is brown, until I dye it blue because I'm always right. <laughs> I'm not always right. It will take more than this podcast or my current desire to research to figure out the full spectrum of every single culture's understanding and emotional connections to every color's. Also keeping in mind that people's personal experiences and trauma and historical periods think about colors very, very differently. For example, red is lucky in China, so brides wear red instead of white, which Americans use. For the purposes of this particular episode, we'll talk a little bit about Western or American emotional understandings of color. I'm just going to give you a few words about each color. Yellow is sunlight and happiness. Orange is warm and comforting. Red is fire, excitement, heat, danger. Reddish purples are kind of uneasy, edging into nighttime, kind of twilighty. Purple is intriguing, darkness, deep night. Bluish purple can be royalty or darkness or even still edging in that kind of like uneasy territory. Blue is cold, fluid, quiet. Green is nature, calming, quiet, earthly. My good, good neutral boy gray is quiet and calm. And don't get me started on all of the wild, wild things about pink. Okay, we're gonna talk about pink. So, <laughs> drunk tank pink is a thing that exists. It's also called Baker Miller pink. Go ahead and give it a Google or look at it on my website. Alexander Schaus was the first person to report the suppression of anger and anxiety when exposed to this particular shade of pink. According to Morton Walker's The Power of Color, even if a person tries to be angry or aggressive in the presence of pink, he can't. The heart muscles can't race fast enough. It's a tranquilizer color that saps your energy. It's even supposed to work if you are colorblind. So in like the 80s, people started painting jail cells this pink. But before you paint yourself this color to combat toxic masculinity, here are some problems. Future studies conducted produced conflicting results, and even if it did work, it would wear off in about 15 to 30 minutes. Also, we emotionally link colors and other stimuli to our lived experiences and traumas. So incarcerated individuals would come to associate the color pink with confinement, 
which would override the initial cue of being tranquilized. So more about pink. I'm not sure if I've ever really talked about it here, but my specialty, other than rambling about art, is rambling about gender and sexuality. Here are some excerpts from my thesis that talk about color and gender, because I am so, 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 so full of myself. You know something funny? An awful empty space existed in between Mom and I finishing the latest Harry Potter book and the publication of the next one. At seven or eight, this vacuum space in my wanting could not be tolerated. She reached for the books she connected with that got her into writing, her escape into a pleasant world where siblings got along and mothers didn't threaten to make her cry. She reached to me and read with me, Little Women and Joe's Boys. It's funny now, my child self obsessing over, writing about, dreaming about, acting out Louisa May Alcott's diary-made classic literature. Louisa's alter ego Joe obviously was me. I think it's because Joe is a writer, a girl person who could be dirty, sacrificing her one beauty, her hair, in a pinch. She, they, didn't seem interested in conventional love and marriage, and when she, they, took a spouse, together they opened a school of only boys to be rough and tumble with. I wonder if she, they, were queer like me. I laugh about gay things like twink and bear when I think of Mr. Bear. Just sit back and imagine if Joe was a twink of a trans boy cuddled next to a strong hairy bear. I fucking love her, them, so much, but if you know if she, they, were queer, that's pretty fucked. If she, they, is queer, then I hate that, because in the debate of when and why pink and blue came into fashion to designate gender, almost every argument alludes to a passage in the novel Little Women, published in 1896. Thirty years after that all-women's college I attended first opened its doors. Amy ties a pink and blue bow on Meg's twins, Daisy and Demi, so people will know the difference between the boy and the girl. My heart broke a little, even though I'm 25. Those years of secret obsession laired in another coat of shame. I loved Joe and fantasized about Louisa, but if that is the reason these gender colors came to America, then Joe and I have to have words, and Louisa and I can't be speaking. When Alcott's Amy, Joe's sister, Amy, tied blue and pink ribbons to these not-yet-sentient blobs of flesh, sealing their assigned fate as girl and boy and nephew and niece, I wondered if it was Daisy or Demi who wore that painful pink. In the origin of these color assignments, girls wore blue because blue, especially dark blue, was associated with the Virgin Mary. Painters often mixed lapis lazuli into the paints to depict the most sacred feminine icon. From birth, a person with a vagina's identity was intertwined with virgin celibacy and the ability to bear healthy children. It wouldn't be until the Holocaust that boys switched from wearing pink to blue. For the same reason that girls had worn blue iconography of the virgin, it was saved from being used as a marker for people deemed unworthy of reproductive distillation of the Aryan race. Alongside Jews marked with the Star of David were homosexuals bearing pink triangles. Americans' toxic masculinity made them more afraid of being accidentally labeled as gay 
then as a Nazi sympathizer, immediately switched the gender color code. Girls and gays were branded with the same undesirable color. I lie awake some nights thinking about the connotations linking gays in concentration camps and babies born with holes in between their legs. It is interesting to me that assigning color to a gender is such a young idea, starting to be consumed widely only in the 20th century. It seems so odd that so suddenly many, like myself, are trying to buck this overly simplified identity code. What I am trying to say, I suppose, is to question the origins of color associations. Do your own research and come up with your own ways of speaking through color. In order to encourage color harmony, consider making your own blacks rather than using blacks from the tube. You can use brown, like burnt umber or burnt sienna, my favorite brown, with cerulean blue. Or you could try alizarin crimson and thalo green. Or you could do cadmium orange and ultramarine blue. Or, you know, whatever you have on hand that's really deep and dark, like the blood of my enemies or my soul. Honestly, most of the time in my work, I use a really, really deep purple or blue instead of black because a little black goes such a, such a long way. Mixing color on the canvas, like the impressionists who would make colors with tiny strokes of vibrant colors next to each other, will look much, much different than transferring a color you mixed from your palette onto the canvas itself. Experiment with which layers go on first to see what hues shine through more dominantly. I mean, everyone knows that red is a top, but I think blue is probably a switch. What's blue like on the bottom? What's blue like on the top? What color mood is that? Anyway, this has been our podcast. I am, as always, Kieve Roadheaver. You can find me on Instagram at Please Touch the Art. You can also find me on Twitter because Please Touch the Art is way too long for Twitter. So it's P T T Art. I also have a website, K R O D E H E A V E R A R T dot com. And that's usually where you can f come find things. Anyway, it was lovely talking to you. I hope that you have a great day. Stay safe out there.